Our reading this morning comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, this can be found on page 891. Daniel, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being, except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, 
he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I, done, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in, in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz, very much. We love the great stories of the Old Testament. Uh, we're looking at the book of Daniel, looking at lessons we can learn for how to live when we live in an environment where, uh, a post-Christian environment in a sense, where the laws increasingly don't reflect the Christian values we come from. How do we live uh, in that sort of environment? Uh, mercifully, praise God, there's still much Christian heritage in our land and much to thank God for, and we pray it will come back again. Uh, but Daniel lived, Daniel was a good Jewish boy. He'd grown up as a child in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon when he was a teenager. He'd been deported to Babylon. All his life he'd been there. Uh, and now at the end of his life, probably in his 70s, Babylon, the Babylon, Babylonians had been overrun by the Medes and Persians. Darius or Cyrus, uh, seems to be an interchangeable name there, uh, is in charge. And it's a new era. And he's stayed faithful to his God, and there is much that we have to learn. So let's pray. Lord God, our Father, uh, we feel from time to time a little uncomfortable in this country because of our Christian faith. Forgive us when we're ashamed of you. We praise you for Daniel's courage in standing true for you in the face of a very ungodly regime. As we think about this now, send your spirit on me as I preach on us, as we listen. And may we hear you speak to us today and give us courage to follow where you lead. And we ask it in your great name. Amen. I wonder what the people who know you say about you. Do they know you're a Christian? Uh, do they notice it makes any difference? Do they know if you're serious about your Christianity or do they just think you prefer church to car boot sales on a Sunday morning and that's about it? Do they see you putting yourself out for the cause of Jesus Christ or is it only perhaps for your family that you'll put yourselves out? 
Uh, when I was a student, I heard a talk that had a big effect on me. It said, most people will not read their Bibles. You are the Bible they will read. Uh, is the print clear? Are there misprints? Are there pages missing? How's the binding? Uh, it's, if people notice we're serious about Jesus and his church, they'll think, hmm, there must be something in this. Why would this sensible person... Uh, take this so seriously if they see a difference in our lives but if they see it's just a sort of hobby we do when there's nothing else they'll think well there's not much in it uh, Daniel had an enormous impact because people noticed how faithful he was to God as I said he's probably in his mid-70s now there's a new regime in Cyrus is the emperor of the Medes and Persians uh, the scholars aren't entirely sure whether Darius is the same person as Cyrus or whether Darius is appointed by Cyrus to run Babylon. Either way, uh, the king is in charge, and Daniel is one of his key leaders. Uh, politicians come and go, don't they? But civil servants seem to remain forever, most of the time, unless they resign, of course, as we've heard. Now, three things about Daniel that I notice for us. The first one is his wonderful integrity. Let's just read verses 3 and 4 again. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. He was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Wouldn't that be wonderful if your work colleagues or family members or whoever said that about you? Trustworthy? You can rely on him or her. Honest, not corrupt. Going to do the right thing, even when it hurts. Hardworking, not negligent. I find I'm, I was sitting at my desk preparing the sermon, surrounded by things I haven't done and emails I haven't replied to. And I felt rather convicted by Daniel's qualities uh, in this area. He's noticed not just by the king, who wants to raise him up, but by his colleagues, including the jealous, unscrupulous ones who want to bring him down. Isn't that the way? Whenever there is a good person, people try and bring him down. The press love a sleazy vicar story or a dodgy politician's story. Uh, I remember being very impressed watching the life of Billy Graham. Uh, always fairly high profile. People tried to pin things on him, but nothing could be pinned on him. Utterly uh, like Daniel, honest, trustworthy, not negligent. Uh, and I think for us in our places of work and where we live among uh, clubs or societies, music or sport or neighbours or friends, family, uh, Daniel sets an example. We live out our Christian faith. People will listen to us if they see that there's a life that matches it up, matches it. Uh, and in our secular work, that is just as important as anything we do in church. We are the Bibles people read. Uh, I love what Paul wrote to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Slaves, which includes pretty much any form of employment in those days. Obey your earthly masters in everything. Do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Daniel is a fantastic example of putting God first, come what may. Uh, second thing 
uh, we can't help but notice is this deep prayer life of Daniel. He's been praying all his life. We first met him back in chapter 1 uh, as a teenager probably in Babylon University uh, where there was a line that shouldn't be crossed and he's with his prayer triplet uh, deciding to stay firm to the Lord. And we've met him various times since then, praying through what's going on. Uh, let's just read verses 5 to 10. Uh, finally, these men, jealous men, said, we'll never find any basis for charges against Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they come to the king and they suck up to the king, making Darius live forever. Uh, we've all agreed that you should issue an edict that nobody should pray to anybody except you for the next 30 days. And if they do, they should be thrown into the lion's den. So your majesty issue the decree, put it in writing, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which changeth not, as it learnt in the old version that I grew up with. So the king put it the decree in writing, he was easily flattered, and they probably caught him when he'd had a few glasses of wine and he wasn't thinking straight. Now when Daniel learnt that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This is his settled pattern. Three times a day. Uh, when you're young in the Christian faith, I think the devil finds it easy enough to trip you up by your weaknesses. You're working on those and you haven't quite sorted those out. Now, we all have a few of those. But as you grow more in the Christian faith, it's often our strengths that get attacked. For me, one of my strengths has been said all times, I'm quite good at doing a, a wide variety of things. Uh, not good at playing music, not good at the technology, but I can do a number of other things. The danger is I can get seduced into trying to do too many of them and none of them well enough, and it's a strength that gets attacked. Uh, and I, can, I need to discern, Lord, am I meant to be doing this or not? Not just that it seems like a good idea. I wonder how you would react if you're told not to pray to anybody uh, for the next 30 days. Last time we saw Shadrach, Meshach uh, and Abednego, or a little while ago, uh, and they were, back in chapter 3, they were told to bow down to an idol, and they said, no, we're not going to do what's wrong. But it's very different being told not to do something that's right. Like many of us would just go a little bit quiet, or perhaps have prayed behind closed doors, uh, just been a bit more subtle about the whole thing. But it seems that for Daniel, it is so known that he worships the God of Israel, the God of Jerusalem, that to do anything else other than stop that would be to sell out to this idolatry uh, of the state. Uh, so he goes and he prays. Uh, his prayer life is disciplined three times every day, presumably morning, midday, evening. Uh, now, many of us grew up with it being recommended that we have a time of prayer, a quiet time in the morning, or if that's not your best time, at your best time of day. And I've done that faithfully uh, most days for the last 40 years or so. And I've written a guide for those of you who haven't, how to have a simple, quiet time. But I've increasingly felt that a quiet time isn't enough to sustain a godly life through a whole day. And actually, when you read back through history, often the great Christians, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, uh, Cranmer in the Book of Common Prayer recommended two or three times a day the Anglican Church morning and evening prayer. And I'm just thinking it may be better to have a time in the morning and a time in the evening. Uh, 
perhaps for me, now our children have grown up, sort of five or six o'clock is a bit of a lull for me, and I quite like to sit down and watch Pointless. Uh, I wonder whether it would be better just to have an evening prayer time, just to clock in with the Lord and stay faithful all day. Daniel, it's three times a day. I'm really struck by Justin Welby, the Archbishop, who's made a rhythm of prayer the biggest thing of his life and brought a community of prayer into Lambeth Palace. And he prays with them first thing in the morning, morning prayer, midday, evening and night when he's there. Uh, such that he lives this rhythm of prayer and goes out from it to do the various impossible tasks he has to do. Whereas most of us sort of live our work and life and occasionally retreat to prayer. For him, it's become a, a living rhythm. And there's something from Daniel uh, we could learn from. I used to think Daniel was a bit superstitious, opening the windows to Jerusalem as if sort of the it's God you're praying to. Uh, until I read that that was what was commanded, as it were, uh, when Solomon dedicated the temple. Uh, this is part of Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 8, verses 48 and 49, when the temple was dedicated. And Solomon said, if, if our people ever rebel against you, God, if you ever cart them away to a foreign land, then this. If they turn back to you with their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, if they pray to you towards the land, Jerusalem, you gave their ancestors, towards the city you've chosen, the temple I've built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. Daniel knew his scriptures and he did what was set down. You pray to God, but he, he faced towards Jerusalem. And I think the open windows weren't so much an escape hatch from Babylon for him, but letting the living God in to his soul. Uh, how are you doing with your rhythm of prayer, a discipline? Uh, it's got to work for you. Uh, one friend I know does his review of the day when he's brushing his teeth at night. You know, we've got into the habit of brushing our teeth without thinking about it. Every night for three minutes, he just is reviewing the day. Lord, is there anything I got wrong? Anything I missed? Anything I should remember? It's, you can build these rhythms in. Uh, for many of us, first thing in the morning. For busy mums, we recommend the first lull of the day. For those of you who, whose office is your car and you travel around a lot, pull into a lay-by somewhere and take time. Uh, the issue is not when or where, it's have we decided we want to do that. Uh, by all means ask me in months to come whether I'm still watching Pointless or whether I've, whether I've developed evening prayer. Uh, I suspect it'll be a bit dodgy on this one. I'm just, that's one of the things I'm thinking through. But Daniel had a rhythm to his prayer life. It had a depth to it. He's down on his knees. This isn't superficial. I won't say any more about this because next week we're looking at Daniel chapter 9 where we get one of Daniel's long prayers praying for the whole nation. Uh, having seen that the exile should be finishing now, Lord, bring us back. And it's a, there's a depth to it which we'll see next week. But the thing I do want to uh, focus on in his prayer life is this bit about thanksgiving in verse 10. Oh, that, that was, uh, there's a highlight for next week. I've forgotten I'd put that there. Highlight for next week. Daniel's prayer life is saying, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear, Lord, act. Don't delay. Your city, your people bear your name. It's God's honor he's after, not just, God, help me, what am I meant to do? It's God's honor. Uh, so let's come on back to verse 10. Uh, three times a day he got on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. If there was ever a time not to thank God, I think it would have been now. The king and all these people have decreed anyone who prays to anybody else will be thrown to the lions. That's a hard one to say thank you to God for. But there are always things we can thank God for. 
And one of the keys to the New Testament's teaching on prayer is thanksgiving. So St. Paul in Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7 uh, says this, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you're taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I read something yesterday that most of us spend 80% time complaining to 20% of our time saying thank you. And it's not that different in the church. I'm not quite sure how they did the research. I suspect I fall, I, I take for granted what's good and I moan about what's bad. Instead of thinking we're in a fallen world, of course there's bad things. Let's thank God for what's good. Colossians 4.2 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. Uh, I'm praying that there'll be something from this sermon for everybody here. It may be determining to have a disciplined daily time of prayer. It may be making Thanksgiving key, starting with Thanksgiving. It may be something else. I said three things we noticed. His integrity, his prayer life. Thirdly, we cannot help but notice his extraordinary courage, which is a great definition of faith. Courage is not... Not feeling scared. Courage is when we feel scared, still doing what's right anyway. He's utterly steadfast. Uh, Verse 22, I've put down in the notes here. Uh, He says, uh, when, when, when it's all over and he's survived the night with the lions, he says to the king, God sent his angel, he shut the mouths of the lion, they've not heard me. I was innocent in his sight, I've not done any wrong before you. But he was absolutely steady. Uh, He'd honoured the king. He'd honoured God. I wonder what shakes you. Often it will be suffering. When we're hurting, something in us cries out, God, where are you? Why have you let this happen? Sometimes it's when things go wrong. Sometimes it's when there's lies about us that have been believed. The truth is, Jesus has said, I am with you always. He is Emmanuel. He is there in the difficult times as well as the good times. It's interesting that actually God didn't stop Daniel being thrown to the lions, but he was there with them in it. I often pray, Lord, please change the situation. But if you don't change it, will you strengthen me and make me equal to it? And Daniel had built up this courage down the years. There was the issue of what food he ate in chapter 1. And bit by bit by bit, each time we see him, it's a tough assignment to the point where he's utterly steady in putting God first, whatever will come. Now, the early church picked up on this story as a picture of Jesus, the way God vindicated Daniel. And he was, as it were, brought back from the dead, from the lion's den. Uh, There's pictures of Daniel in the lion's den in the catacombs of Rome. Uh, Lots of echoes of the cross and resurrection. Uh, Daniel, like Jesus, had done nothing wrong. He's sentenced because a ruler feels trapped by scheming people. There's a stone come and a tomb is sealed, if you like. And then, and Jesus said, the third day, the stone is rolled away and he comes out alive. And it was a, a picture of the way God vindicated Jesus. So a picture of the way God will vindicate us as we stay faithful to him. And Daniel's faith was noticed not only by his opponents, the ones who wanted to bring him down, but by Darius uh, himself. Uh, So just look at the things Darius said, the king 
who knew him a bit and got to know him better. Verse 16, as he throws him into the lion's den, may your God whom you serve rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and everyone else's, so the situation couldn't be changed. The king went back to his palace, couldn't sleep, didn't eat, no entertainment. At first light of dawn, the king goes up and hurries to the den. When he comes near, he calls to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel says, he has. Uh, And Daniel is rescued. And the king, who is still a fairly dangerous dictator, decides that everybody else, the men and their families, awful, should die instead. But then the king issues this edict, verses 25 to 27. He wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language. This is what makes the scholars think it really is Cyrus. He was the leader of the whole empire of the Medes and Persians. Huge area. Uh, He wrote to all the people in the empire, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And within a short while, this Cyrus, if it is the same one, has issued a decree that the Jews were free to go back from exile and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the beginning of Ezra, we get Cyrus's decree. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel the God who's in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple in Jerusalem. There must have been something of Daniel's impact to Cyrus, to honour the God, the true, the living God, that then released his people to go and rebuild the temple and told everybody else to provide for them. If Daniel had been quiet and shut the door and hidden away, that wouldn't have happened, probably. Who knows what would have happened if he'd just keeping his head down? Who knows what would happen if you dare to stay faithful to the Lord when the chips are down for you at work, in your family, in the streets? Easier just to go quiet. I know I do that too often. But we're told when someone's baptised, we tell them, don't be ashamed of Christ. And we are to contend for Jesus. So where does this courage come from? Where does this character come from? It comes from this daily time with God. Three times a day, every day. It must have been ingrained in him as a child before he got to Babylon. Now in his 70s, it's so deeply ingrained. That's why what's going on at the back of church with our children and young people is so important. Teaching them in these early days, God is real. He hears your prayer, trust him, and rooting it in them. We heard Katie and Tim promise to bring Charlotte up to trust the Lord. So as she grows up, she's learning to trust. 
heard a great talk years ago that our ceiling should be their floor. Our ceiling, where we get to, should be the floor where our kids develop from. Certainly my kids have way outstripped me in faith in what they're doing. Uh, I'm in awe, and a lot of it because of what happened in the children and youth work here, as well as what happened in our own home. Uh, we need to develop courage. Uh, let's skip the next reference, uh, please. I've just gone to Acts chapter 4, 13. Uh, when the disciples were had up and flogged and thrown in prison, this is what the leaders in Jerusalem said about them, Acts 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were fishermen, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the key. There's been a lot of emphasis in our church about following Jesus. Uh, I'm really wanting, and uh, we've talked about more time with him, prayer and Sabbath. I really think we need to emphasize more, I need to emphasize more, this being with Jesus and intimacy with him. That's where the courage comes from. That's where the character comes from. That's what helps us do what he's calling us to do. And often it's the people who have the deepest prayer lives who make the biggest difference for God wherever they are. It's not either or. It's not either you're a prayer or a doer. But actually, if we're with Jesus, there's courage uh, that helps us hold, stand firm, even when our knees are shaking a bit or quaking. It starts with our prayer life. Now, I'm not saying try harder. <laughs> Preachers are very good at that. <laughs> do more. Read your Bible more. Be nice to people more. Uh, do serve more. What I am saying is time with Jesus. When there's a relationship that matters, we take time with it. Jesus said, we're like the branches of the vine. And when the branches have a good connection with the vine, they don't have to do very much other than be there. And all the goodness comes through the vine into the branches and produces the fruit. If we're not being very fruitful, let's look at the connection with the vine. Let's root in, let's abide. Uh, some of you know what one of my heroes is Hudson Taylor, the great uh, leader of mission to China uh, around the time this church was being built 150 years ago. Uh, he had a very difficult season, well he had many difficult seasons, but one in particular, where the ministry was being attacked, there were all sorts of problems. He knew that nothing was impossible with God. He knew that God had the resources. Uh, he knew his stories. He knew that God could rescue Daniel or any of the other people we sang about earlier. Uh, but he wrote in, his, in a letter how to get the resources out. He was trying to drum up faith to get the resources out. Uh, and then he wrote that a light bulb moment came. He said, it's not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. And for the rest of his life, there was a resting in Jesus as the pressures piled up. That was where he was going to rest, be the branch resting in the vine. Uh, be like Daniel, every day resting in God. Uh, for Daniel, three times a day. For us, however the Lord leads us. Uh, it takes time to build this Depth of relationship. That's why we're saying for the whole term, we want to focus on prayer. Uh, some of you will have made a step. Great, let's just keep working at it and cement it so that's part of us. If you haven't yet, uh, it's not too late. There's my notes on how to have a quiet time, if you like, at the back, or the book on prayer. There's so many different ways uh, there are, but do something to take the next step. Uh, would you stand and we'll pray together?
for any who 